0: Father, this passage talks about a celebration. A celebration to rejoice in that which was lost, that which was dead, that has been found, that has been given life. And Father, in the story, we have those who are in celebrating and those who are on the outside. And God, we pray that this morning, that because of who you are and because of who we are in Christ that we would have reason to celebrate and to rejoice because the lost have been found and a father loves and a son rescues and we are your family. So God, would You come this morning with power into this place and would You fill it with Your presence so that we know that we're with God. And as we're with You, we know that we'll be changed to become more like our big brother, Jesus. Father, would You take all the distractions that are in our mind and all around us and would You quiet them in Your presence? And would you cause our hearts to rejoice? And would you speak really clearly? We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. All right, this morning it begs the question, do you really love Jesus? Is that why you're here? Or do you have a pathetic life with no friends who have a condo? Nowhere else to go. So you're here. I don't care which one it is. I'm glad you're here. Uh, did anybody go to the beach yesterday or this weekend? Was that not nuts? Uh, we drove over as a family. We thought we arrived at Coney Island called New Smyrna Beach. I mean, there were more people there than I've ever seen, wall to wall, crazy. Uh, I really, I thought, how many of y'all coming back to church tomorrow? I mean, I walked around like a Pharisee looking at them all. You all coming back to church? Wow. <sighs> Man, I almost wanted to preach right there. I tell you, our community this week uh, went through a tragic loss. Uh, Another tragic loss to our community. uh, The loss of a father, a loss of a husband, a loss of a Maitland Little League coach, a loss of a hero. I'm sure you've heard the story if you've been around at all uh, this week. Anywhere near a newspaper or near a buzz, it certainly has rocked our community. A man by the name of Mike Grady. Uh, Mike Grady lost his life saving his own son's life. And for all of us parents, I mean, it just wounded us deeply. It, it, just, it just hits a chord as we put ourselves in Mike's precarious situation and the horror of all horrors of a child in peril. A child in peril on a family vacation. Supposedly having a great time. Sun goes into water uh, in North Carolina. Frigid, I guess, 58 degree weather uh, or water. Uh, very cold. Um, an area that's replete with tourists. And not, a, uh, not off the beaten path. And yet, as he was just enjoying... The rapids, enjoying the flow of water, his foot gets caught in a rock, causing the rushing water behind him to push him into the water, his head into the water, and out comes Mike, the dad, to the rescue. Spending about a half an hour holding his son's head above water, preserving his life until help can arrive, but sadly, unable to save his own. He dies a hero, saving his son. There's something amazingly beautiful in the midst of the sadness of a father's love. Two weeks ago on Father's Day, we looked at the father's love in an amazing way as it's given to us in God's Word. A a father in heaven who loves sinners like us so much that he would send his own son to be lost. So that sinners like us can have our heads lifted out of the despair of life and sin. And that we could be saved. And that we could have life. So every story of tragedy like Mike's reminds us of another tragedy on a hill in Calvary. Cal, uh, Calvary, Not Calgary, that's in Canada. Calvary. <laughs> where a son loses his life to rescue us. The vehicle we looked at on Father's Day to look at a father's love was a familiar story. It's what's often called the prodigal son story. And as you have heard before from me, you'll hear again this morning, probably a misnomer um, by calling it the prodigal son. Really, there are two sons equally lost Maybe the one that doesn't seem lost is even more so actually lost. So this morning we will look at this Father's love again. We return. Father's Day we looked at this Father image that runs to sinners, that loves to bring sinners back into relationship with himself, a Father who loves to party over that which was lost, that is now found, a father who shows incredible love to two sons that were quite different. The next two weeks, we were going to be looking at these two sons. These two lost sons. And really, there are a lot of similarities between these two sons. Let me, let me set the stage for us again. Um, it's been a couple weeks since Father's Day, so let me remind you. Many of you know the prodigal son's story or the story of this father with his two sons. Some of you may be new to this story. Uh, thank you, Sam, for reading it. But if you start the story in Luke 15, where the story begins, you'll find that there are three types of people, really two groups of people, and Jesus in the story. Um, I noticed someone look behind me. This is, by the way, Rembrandt's understanding of the return of the prodigal and This hangs in my home study. This hangs in my study here. I never want to forget the Father's love. And I never want to forget that that's me with nothing to offer the Father coming and receiving His love. But as you start the story, if you look in your Bibles, if you open them to Luke 15, um, you'll see in the first three verses that the stage is set. And here's how... The stage is set. We're told that there are the Pharisees that are there. Now, the Pharisees in Jesus' day are the religious leaders. I mean, these are men who have studied God's Word, memorizes God's Word. These are men who try to keep the law of the Word completely. These are men that love their religion These are men that think that God is going to love and accept them because of their religion. These are the ones who have the longest prayers. Uh, These are the ones that uh, are are very uh, devout. These religious folks, the Pharisees, are there. They're there with the tax collectors and sinners. Interestingly, uh, they're both considered sinners. We're all sinners. But Luke tells us that there are tax collectors, which means that the pond scum is there. I mean, this is the low of the low of the low. This is maybe in our society a, a child molester. I mean, this is, this is, you know, really bad as far as sinful people go who would rob God's people to pay a Roman government tax collectors and sinners are there. So as the story unfolds, you have Jesus sitting with these tax collectors, these sinners. He's hanging out with them. Now There's harlots there, there's prostitutes there, there's tax collectors there. I mean, there's people that really are on the low end of the totem pole that society would look down on, and the religious people didn't like it at all. They were upset because they didn't understand why a rabbi, a religious person, would be hanging out with pond scum. He should be shunning them. So in the story, you have these uh, Pharisees who really believe that their religion... What they do, their religion, has earned a relationship with the Father. There might be some here today that's like you. Maybe you think, hey, I was baptized in a church. Uh, I go to church. Uh, My religion, the things I do, I, I might even tithe. The things we do might earn us a relationship with the Father. You see, the problem with the Pharisees is they didn't need Jesus as Savior. They didn't need Him. Because their religion qualified them from the father's love. And they were oh so wrong. You have the Pharisees who thought they had earned a relationship. Then you have those Pharisees are going to be compared to, by the way, in this story, the elder brother. This story is actually told to the elder brother. That's what we're looking at this morning. Jesus is really talking to the Pharisees. And they in this story are the elder brother. And then you have the younger brother represented by the tax collector and the sinners that the Pharisees thought were so irreligious that they were disqualified from a relationship with the father. And that was the scandal. That was the scandal. How can Jesus hang out with those who seemingly should be disqualified and amazingly are shown God's love Okay, when we look at these two brothers, you think, man, they're incredibly different. I mean, one is very moral, and one stays home, and one, according to himself, never does anything wrong. You got the younger son, and the younger son says, man, I want to go out there and and find out who I am. I want to go find life apart from the father. I want to go and live it up. I mean, I want to go, and maybe it's like somebody, a young person, who's saying, I can't wait to get to college to really experience life. I can't wait to get under my father's thumb or my mother's watchful eye and go out there and really live. Uh, that's the, what we see with the younger son. But they really both were lost. Interestingly, they both were lost. One was lost outside the home and one was lost in the home. Now, this is important to us because this reminds us that there are people who could be lost even here. There could be religious-looking church members who are still lost. Both the younger son and the older son wished that the father were dead. Neither the younger son nor the older son really wanted a relationship with the father. They just wanted the father's stuff. And so, the younger son wishes his father were dead. What does he do? He leaves home and he goes out and he tries to find life apart from home. Verses 12 and 13. The older son wishes he were dead and he stays home and he tries to obey his father to manipulate his father. Again, both want the father's stuff, but they don't want the father. And listen, if you hear nothing else this morning, God wants you in a relationship with him, in love with him. It's nothing to do with the religion and the stuff. It's all about the relationship. Do you know that relationship? That's so important. Both behave in a manner embarrassing to the family. I mean, clearly with a younger son, really embarrassing. Wow. Ask the dad, give me the share of my inheritance. I'm going to go party. I'm going to take everything that you earned uh, as my share, and I'm going to spend it on prostitutes. I'm going to shame the name by going out there and, and just living among the pagans, the Gentiles. I mean, clearly, both the younger son clearly took the family name and dragged it through the mud. But the older brother did the same thing, the older son. He embarrasses the father, as Sam read this morning, by refusing to celebrate his brother's return. By refusing to party with the father. I mean, the, par- the father throws an amazing bash. Let's, let's, let's say uh, uh, you had a big 4th of July celebration. And what if one of your children refuses to come in? What if it was you invite everybody in the neighborhood, everybody's going to be there, you are going to spend everything so everyone can come and celebrate, but when there's someone clearly missing in the family. That's what the older son was doing. He was embarrassing the family. He wasn't celebrating with the father. He wasn't celebrating that his fun, his, his, his brother had returned. Both smear the father's name, both smear the reputation. And both are searching for meaning in the wrong places. The younger son looks for life in the world. And how we are so afraid that our kids might do the same. They might leave and walk away from the father and say, maybe there's life out there. And he realizes he was wrong. But for church folks like me and you, we have more of a tendency to be like the older brother. The older son looked for life and worth and duty and moralism. Trying to be morally right, he's trying to find life. And interesting, both find their way to slavery. The younger son's feeding pigs. I mean, that's a terrible thing for a young Jewish boy to do. He's eating the stuff he's feeding pigs. The older son, through his moral lifestyle, says to his own father, I've been nothing more than slaving for you. Both look for meaning in the wrong places. And most times the church so misses this, Most of the time, we don't understand how lost that older brother is. Most of the time, we say, look at his moral behavior. Isn't it great? But I tell you what, the older brother had a repugnant attitude toward his father. He was incredibly lost. And his self-righteous moralism completely blinded him to his need for the gospel and his need for, uh, for truth. But we see a father who is so loving, and again, I hope your heart wells up with joy of seeing this father, he leaves home for both of them. He leaves home for that that prodigal son, that wayward son that would go off and, and, and align himself with the wrong crowd and prostitutes and heathens and live a hedonistic lifestyle. This father goes and runs to the lost. Let that sit in. This father of ours goes and runs for the lost. But he also goes out to his Older son, the elder son. And he also says, Come into the party. He leaves them both. But there are some incredible differences. This morning, we're just going to look at two things. How lost is this older brother? And is it more like me and you? And the second thing is, what example does Jesus give us as the true older brother? So in your bulletin, um, you'll see that there'll be a page there. If you want to just write, there's two points um the short week this week we didn't get them there for you but the two points are this the lostness of the elder brother and the second one the example of the true elder brother jesus and then we're going to come to the table and realize man we have an older brother who has rescued us and it cost him a lot and we're going to celebrate being found in christ for those of us or his family will you join me in prayer again let's just pray before we dive into those two points Father, as we recap this story, somewhere in this story, each one of us should find our face. Each one of us, because we're sinful, are going to try to find a life and identity apart from you. How crazy. Some choose to throw off religion, throw off relationship, and go and try to find life out there in the world. Some are going to try to find life by keeping the rules, and being moral, and yet both are lost. So what in the world is the answer? God, we know it's your son in the gospel, so make that clear to us, I pray, in Christ's name, amen. The first thing we're going to see is this, the lostness of the older brother. I had an epiphany this week. I mean, I don't don't say that lightly. I mean, I really think I had an epiphany this week. I mean, pretty amazing. Um... I'm in my, I'm in my uh, home studying. I really have in devotion times. Uh, and more than anything, I'm lamenting. More than anything, I'm lamenting because I'm in a funk. I'm in a funk spiritually. Uh, I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm becoming more Christ-like. I feel like I'm in the same place. And I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. And, and I think if, as I was in my journal and I was making notes... And I was frustrated because the notes I was making were just like the notes I made the week before, and the week before, and the week before, and the week before. And And I was crying out, and I was saying, God, I want more obedience. God, I want to be more obedient to you. I I, I want more faithfulness. I'm not asking for stuff. I'm not asking for things. I'm not asking for a bigger church. I'm not, I'm just asking, will you please give me more obedience? And, And I'm stuck. Because I don't know what to do because I don't think you could just kind of work harder for obedience. That's kind of legalistic and it doesn't work in my life. I, I know it won't ultimately work in yours. And so I'm like, God, I mean, will you please give me the grace? Will you, will you give me this? Obe- Why won't you answer my prayers? You know those prayers? I mean, you just kind of ticked because, listen, is that not a good prayer? I mean, wouldn't you want your pastor to be praying, God, give me more obedience? And that was my prayer. And I'm sitting there thinking, dang, why don't you answer this? And he did. By showing me my heart. And I started to realize that I wanted obedience. Why? So I would feel better about me. (laughs) I would feel better about me because I, I was in a rut and I didn't like myself and I, I didn't like the, the same sins I'm struggling with. And really, what I was crying out to sounded so pious and it sounded so good that, golly, I'm praying for obedience. But God revealed to me the true prayer of my heart and the true prayer of my heart was selfish. I just wanted to feel good. I wanted to feel like I was did enough. I wanted to earn His pleasure, I wanted to earn yours. Oh, it was humbling. Do you know what it feels like to be praying for obedience and then realize you're praying for it out of sinful motives? So you know what I started to do? I started to repent. I read a book uh, over vacation uh, by Jack Miller, Servant Leadership, I looked into his life and ministry. It was so replete with repentance and faith, repentance and faith. And I'm like, Lord, I got to add that into my life more, more repentance. And so here I finally have the opportunity. Here comes repentance. I'm excited. I got my pen out, I got my journal out. Lord Jesus, I am going to repent from my desire to be obedient. Oh, this is a great prayer. Wow. I mean, this is the most incredible prayer I've prayed in a long time. I am praying for repentance, for the desire to be obedient obedient and you guess what i got prideful uh, i did i'm thinking, oh man this is such an incredible i am so, i mean i am getting it right here i mean woo-hoo. i mean man am i a spiritual giant listen i wanted obedience because i felt like pond scum and now through an amazing act of god's grace he revealed the true nature of my heart and now all of a sudden i'm prideful I said to Katie a few minutes later, I told her the story. I told everybody about this epiphany. I mean, really, it was a big deal. I was like, wow. I said, you know, I, I had a thought. <laughs> uh, I, I had a thought that, like, man, if, I'm a, if I continue on this track of spiritual growth, uh, the congregation of Orange, they're not even going to understand me, man. I'm just going to, like, glow. They're going to go, man, whoo, look at that guy's walk with Jesus. Wish I could have his. I mean, isn't that pathetic? Seriously, isn't that pathetic? Isn't that pathetic? You see, what I wanted was for me. It may have looked pious and it may have smelled of religion, but the truth, it was selfish. And the lostness of the older brother is just that. His moralistic behavior, the things he did for the father, what he would call slaving for the father, listen, they weren't for the father. He couldn't stand his father. When his father was so delighted in a lost son who was alive that he has to party, this older son so detested his father, he wouldn't party with him. He wouldn't go celebrate. He wouldn't shed tears over a lost brother. This older brother's lostness was in everything he did, even morally, was all for him to feel better, to look good, and to earn something from the Father, talk about being lost. How is with you? The lostness of the older brother isn't as is clearly seen as the lostness of the younger brother, and guess what? It makes it a whole lot more dangerous, because our churches are replete with lost elder brothers who think that they're moral enough to have God's favor to think that something that they do can earn His favor, His love, and adoption into His family. We miss it. I remember uh, a relationship with a very good friend of mine as I saw before my eyes this reality become an understanding in his life and I witnessed a conversion of someone who thought that they were already a Christian. And, And you know him, and some of you might be him or her. It's the one who comes to church, and they've always gone to church. It's the one who has been even maybe in church leadership. It's the one who has given to the church, and it's the one who does moral things almost all the time, pays their taxes on time, doesn't beat their wife, kind to their dog, votes correctly, whatever that means. I mean, they they seem in their own life, That they did everything right. And I'll never forget sitting on a porch with this man and saying to him, You are the hardest ones to get the gospel of Jesus Christ because you are so good. You don't understand how dark your heart really is, and mine too. You don't really need Jesus as Savior. You need Him just as a little bit of a counselor sometimes and a little bit of help sometimes. But you aren't the one who realizes that you fall before Him and say, forgive me, Jesus, because I've sinned. Listen, the ones who need to be forgiven little love little. Why did Jesus hang out with the ones who loved Him so much? Because they understood. The Pharisees missed it. How is it with you? You see, religion versus relationship. You've heard me say this before. This is a key. Religion versus relationship. The older elder brother had sound religion and lousy relationship. At one time, the younger brother had lousy religion, but he never lost relationship. Amazingly, look again at 15. I mean, the elder brother completely loses relationship with the father. We see this first thing. Lost relationship with the father. Do you know that he wouldn't even call his father by name? What I love about the younger brother is the word father never left his lips. As he refers to him, even in a distant country, thinking about how the father treats the slaves, he's still going to refer to his father as what? Father! Father never forgets who his father is, but here is this religious elder brother, and how does he address his father? He says, look! Look, you! I mean, it's a command. He doesn't even address him by name. He doesn't even call his brother, brother. He calls him this son of yours. Wow. Religion versus relationship. Relationship. Starts with a clear loss of father. Not calling him by name. Not calling his brother not by name. A complete loss to the reason to work for the father. Here's what he says. I have been slaving for you for years. Huh. That's the view he has of working for his father. I have been slaving for you. Listen, that's not relationship. That's religion. And if you have a relationship with God that feels like you have been slaving, you don't have a relationship with him. He wants you to respond and be compelled out of love. Unbelievably, the younger brother who realized his sinfulness and turned toward home, he realized he was disqualified for sonship and he said, Treat me like a slave. And he gets sonship. The one who's moral and stays home and does everything right, and you would think is the good son, says, I've been slaving. You see, religion will never set you free. Religion will never bring you to sonship. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ will bring you to freedom and sonship. You can never work hard enough and do enough to earn the perfect Father's love. And good news, you don't have to. It is freely given to us in the true elder brother, Jesus Christ, who gives us His righteousness and grace. And then we now can be compelled and freed as sons to live in love for him. This epiphany of mine made me realize, what if I really believed it? What if I really believed that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, that my sins were really paid? What if I really, really believed that if I were a Christian and a son of God, a born-again believer, that I am robed in Christ's righteousness? What if I really believed that the Father will see me completely in Christ, and He loves me completely in Christ, and I am freed completely in Christ? What if I really believed it? I wouldn't care about the perception of men and women like I do. I wouldn't fret in my study saying, give me more obedience because I need to feel good about me. I would cease striving to do something that I could do on my own to bring to the Father and say, approve me now because I have done this filthy rag and I would be free to live. Because I'm loved, and I'm forgiven, and I'm set free, and I'm a son. And he'll never change his mind about me. Doesn't that make you want to dance? Doesn't that get you a little bit excited? That is the gospel. And yet I forget, I become the elder brother. Let me perform and somehow manipulate the father so that he owes me. God, do you not know that I'm a minister of the gospel? Do you not know that I've sacrificed? Do you not know that I'm spending time in my quiet time? Do you not know you owe me? That is baloney. And he says, do you not know that my son has rescued you? Do you not know that you are loved? Do you not know that you are forgiven? Do you not know that you are set free? No, I forget. I'm the elder brother too often. And I've lost the reason to work. And even as ministers of the gospel, we sometimes say to God, do you not know I've been slaving for you? That's why 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us, may the love of Christ compel you. That's why Luther would say to his congregation, love God, love God, and do whatever you want. Because if you love God, you will love His character. And if you love God, you will love following Him. And if you love God, what will never enter your voice and my voice, I have been slaving for you. God, I'm responding to your love out of sheer love. And I'm so grateful to you. You see, he lost the understanding of the Father's love. He said, Dad, you never throw a party for me. I mean, there's no, there's no. you don't give me the littlest lamb to have a little party with my friends. And it's interesting. He doesn't say, you don't even have a little lamb so I can have a party with the family. So I can have a party with you, Dad. So I can hang out with you, Dad, and we can just celebrate and rejoice together. No, I wanted you to give me a little lamb so I can get out of your face and out of your hair and I can have my own little party with my own little friends. But he completely lost touch of the Father's love. He couldn't figure it out, and his dad had to say to his son, which is so true, Don't you understand? All that I have is yours. What is mine is yours. What is mine is yours. And that wasn't enough. And listen, here's the bottom line it's not enough for me in my flesh. It's not enough. It's not enough. Somehow I still got to earn, somehow I still got to work. It's not enough. Remember, we've gone through Ephesians. Ephesians 1.3 All of the blessings in the heavenly realms. All of the blessings of God in the heavenly realms are ours in Christ Jesus. What Jesus has done through His obedience, through His death on the cross, is earned the Father's favor. And He lavishes it now upon us. And He says, all that I have is yours. All of it. What more could you want? And yet, we lost the understanding of the Father's love. And what God offers me oftentimes is not enough. How is it with you? (laughs) He offers me freedom. He offers us unconditional love. He offers us the work of the Son. And I said, no, no, I just want a little more. Keller tells the story in his book, Prodigal God, of a man who went to a king with a carrot. He was a gardener, and he said, this carrot is the best carrot that I have ever grown. It is the best carrot that I will ever grow. It is the greatest carrot in my garden. It's the greatest thing that I could ever produce. And I am now going to give to you, King, my King, this carrot. And the carrot, and the King responds as he's leaving, says, let me tell you, sir, please, Receive for me this field next to yours and enjoy and cultivate it. It is yours because obviously you're a gifted gardener and I would delight in giving back to you. One of the tenants saw that, my goodness, this king just gave away valuable land for a carrot. What if I really did something good and gave this king something worthwhile? What will he give me? If he gives so lavishly for a carrot, so he thought, I raise horses. And the next day he brings in the biggest, the the nicest black horse. It brings it in. He says, my king, I raise horses. And this is the greatest horse that I've ever raised. This is the greatest horse that I will ever raise. And now, my king, I give this horse to you. And the king, seeing his heart, quickly dismisses him. But as he goes, he turns around, whoa, whoa whoa wait a minute, what's up with that?" The king says, "You don't understand. The gardener gave me, gave me the carrot. But you gave yourself the horse." It makes sense? In my religion, in some time trying time to earn God's love, like the elder brothers, elder brother. I ask for things like obedience for me. But what God wants us to give is out of our heart for him in love. And oh, does he lavish it upon us. What did the, uh, the, the son lost the ability to rejoice? The whole story was about rejoicing in the lost. Rejoice that one sheep out of 99 is found. Rejoice that one cone out of ten was found. Rejoice that the younger brother was found. And the the elder brother lost the ability to rejoice, and he even lost the ability to look for the lost. And we see the example of the true elder brother. There's a story that Edmund Clowney, a, a dear pastor who passed away, tells about a brother who loses his younger brother in Vietnam. A missing in action... And this older brother didn't sit there and think, Man, I'm so bad sad about losing my brother, that he left his home and went to war torn Vietnam with the sole purpose of finding his lost brother. According to Clowney, it became known that he was known simply as the brother, the one who was sent on a mission to go and to seek and to save the lost. Because that's what older brothers really should do that are biblical. They should go and seek to save the lost. And if you think about that story, you know where I'm going. The ultimate older brother is Jesus. The one who would leave not just the states to Vietnam, but the one who would leave the glory and the right hand of the Father to come and to seek the lost sons and daughters. You and me. That's the story Of Jesus, the example of our true older brother. You see, Jesus left everything to seek and to save the lost. And the whole story is, he says, Remember the one who lost the sheep? What did he do? He left home. He left 99 and he went to look for the lost. What did the woman do with the ten coins? She swept out her house. She went to look for that which is lost. As Jesus is talking to the elder brother Pharisees, he's nailing them right between the eyes as they're making fun of him for sitting with prostitutes, for sitting with tax collectors. He is thumping them and saying, you are the older brothers. You are the ones who should be looking for the lost. You are the ones who should be looking for those who don't have a relationship with me. You are the older brother and you aren't doing anything. You are the one who should give up your robe. You are the one who should give up your ring. You're the one who should give up your sandals. And truthfully, in this story, the elder brother... Has the expense of all those things. Remember the father said, All I have is yours. The younger brother's inheritance has been spent. And now the father welcomes him back into the household. And guess what? He's offering him. He's offering him the elder brother's stuff. Who's, who has the best robe now? It's the elder brother. Uh, who was who have the fatted calf? It was for the elder brother. The elder brother hated the fact. That he was losing his inheritance for someone else. He hated the fact he had his share with his younger brother. He hated the fact that it cost him deeply. We see the story as a story of forgiveness as it is, but it cost the elder brother deeply for that young, rebellious younger brother to come home. It cost him his stuff. But Jesus said, all that I have, I'm willing to leave behind to find you. I'm willing to spend it all. I'm willing to empty myself out of all but love. I'm willing to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, I'm willing to consider prostitutes, tax collectors, Presbyterians, better than myself. I'm willing to give up my life for yours. I'm willing to robe you in my righteousness. I'm willing to shoe you in the sandals of the gospel. I'm willing to put a ring of my authority and my name on you. And the cost of that forgiveness is mighty. Jesus rejoices in the Father's love. Jesus rejoices in the rescue of the lost. And the parable comes to a grinding halt in a weird way. You get a lost sheep that's returned, and there's a party. You get a lost coin that's returned, and there's a party. You get a lost son who returns, and there's a party. But there are those who are outside, not joining in, and we aren't told the rest of the story. Let me ask you, what do you do? Are you inside? The party, because of the Father's love, rejoicing that you've been saved and set free and radically loved? Are you outside the party, trying to earn the Father's love, trying to earn your way in, believing that God owes you? There's three things we do in closing. Three things I'm going to ask you to do that God has asked me to do this week. Number one, repent. I ask that the Lord will show you as He showed me your heart, even for religion, even for prayers like obedience. Is it really for you or is it really for the Father? And you're like me. You're going to find out more and more stuff is really for you. And God is asking us to confess it and to believe. Listen, to believe that Jesus is Enough. And you and I will be free. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do this week invite a friend to church next week. I'm preaching next week on the younger son. I'm preaching on the younger son who tried to find life apart from the father. Will you have the cost of your reputation to invite somebody? Will you have the cost of of finding someone and asking them and maybe putting your name on the line? Will you, this week, ask somebody to come to church with you? And if they don't come next week, that's fine. But all I'm going to ask you is this. Invite a friend and engage in a friend in conversation. I, I spent 30 minutes discussing Christianity uh, with a friend of mine who doesn't believe this week. It's some of the greatest things that happened. And I, I don't get it why he's not a Christian yet. But I'm thankful for those opportunities to call people into the party. Will you do that? And thirdly, will you come to the table? Will you come to the table, those of you who have been rescued? Those of you who realize that it cost Jesus his life for us to be reconciled. I recently heard our General Assembly a reminder about this table that this is the most expensive meal ever. It may seem like a little bit of juice and some broken bread. No, no. This points to and spiritually is the broken body and poured out blood of Jesus. There was never a more expensive meal than this. And this is a meal to remember. To remember that we were lost and we have an older brother named Jesus who came and found us. And He found us at the cost of His life. And He has set us free from even our sins of asking for obedience so that we could be His. And Now we could be more like the older brother. I'm going to ask you to come. We're going to do this through intention, which means you'll have bread as you come forward. You can come forward this time. Uh, you will be dismissed by Rose. You take the bread and, and dip it into uh, the wine um, and then go back to your seat. Um, i 'll tell you more about who uh, should come to this meal in a moment, but let us pray. But as we pray, let me ask you, examine your heart. Are you the elder brother? Are you trying to earn the father 's favor, even through your religion? Are you the younger brother? trying to earn life and find life apart from the Father. Whoever you are, let us go before the Father in prayer. Father, I thank you for an elder brother named Jesus who came to rescue a lost loser like me. Who even in the midst of this state of being saved and loved, will still have the propensity to be that elder brother. I ask your forgiveness. And Jesus, I thank you for your infinite wisdom that you'll give us a meal to remember. And Father, I ask that as we partake of this meal that your son Jesus gave to us, that we would remember the cost the cost it took to Jesus' life. Feed us afresh on Christ. And Father, before we come to the table, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. And and Father, we, we acknowledge that we don't have to do this to earn your love. We receive it in Christ. And so now we're compelled by love to build the church, to advance the kingdom. So Father, would you bless the cheerful giver. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.